Hello and welcome to the International Society of Hypertension podcast. My name is Dr. Francine Marques from Monash University, Australia, and I'm the chair of the International Society of Hypertension Mentoring and Training Committee. Today, I have with me Professor Alpha Schutt, who is Professor and Principal Thing Lead for Cardiac, Vascular and Metabolic Medicine at the University of New South Wales, Sydney, Australia. Alta is also the current president of the International Society of Hypertension and the second female president in the society's history. Alta, welcome and thank you so much for agreeing um, to talk to me today. Thank you, Francine. It's really a pleasure for me to form part of this podcast. So um, if we go straight then into the questions, um, can you define your mentorship experience in one word? Crucial. <laughs> That's very good. Yeah, I could. Yeah. And uh, why do you think uh, do you think mentoring is important, and why do you think that's the case? Absolutely, I think everyone today would actually give that response. I think it gives a young scientist the opportunity and freedom to ask, ask, ask. I remember how often I knocked on the doors of my two mentors with so many questions and they were fortunately very kind and supportive and patient and uh, enjoyed his discussions on general science and how to climb the academic ladder and stimulating curiosity and passion in me. And that hasn't stopped since then. So I think that played a critical part in my own development too. Yeah, no, that's very nice. Yeah. Um, and was there any moment in your career that you realized you needed a mentor? Yes, um, in the early days, I think, actually, before I started with my PhD, I did a master's degree in human physiology, and then I had to design a study myself in humans and recruit participants and perform literature reviews on how to do it. I had so many, many questions, and then I had to uh, actually be able to speak to my study leader was actually the department head at that time it was such a positive experience and he was patient and pointed me in the right direction and then i just realized how important it really is to have that someone whose door is basically always open very valuable yeah no that's true yeah they're always very valuable yeah and uh, can you give me any examples of ways that uh you have helped your own mentees now Yes, I think um, I have found many young scientists, especially at the stage when they're busy with the PhD, but of course also later on. Um, but I find that they do not always plan sufficiently for their future careers. They are so focused on the PhD that they're not always seeing the bigger picture and not always realizing the vast opportunities for researchers in the world. And some, some are also quite afraid to go beyond their comfort zones. So I've often invited my younger colleagues or students for meetings to discuss their future academic careers. And then it was like an eye-opener for many. They didn't realize this or this or that these aspects are so much more important than other things. And um, I think it had great value to them. And um, in the end, I also got great feedback from them. And that is great, especially when you see how they have developed. Um, it's really good and, and some people just have that spark in the eye and that ambition and, and uh, I think it's nice for me to see how they spread their wings and uh, very positive. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really agree with you and um, it's, uh, it's funny that sometimes people say, oh, why would you agree to, you know, volunteer your time, you know, to mentor someone 
but I see these days that that's probably the best time best time of my day is when I spend with my mentees because you can see how much difference it makes in their career that um, I get really excited about that. Yeah, it, it's, it's inspiring. I fully agree with you. <laughs> and uh, what traits do you think a good mentee has? The willingness and ability to reach out, despite the fact that it's daunting to do so. I think everybody who has been a mentee, and that's probably most of us, <laughs> have been there. And if you don't go out of that comfort zone, um, you'll always stay in there and you'll get stuck in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, talking about that, um, how did you overcome talking to someone you found intimidating? Yeah, I've done that so many times, but I think my secret was I prepared well. Um, you need to know what exactly you want from the mentor or perhaps when you have to speak to an international leader in science. And if possible, uh, try to make an appointment to not bring in an element of surprise, but it's not always possible to make an appointment. And then you can try to meet him or her at a scientific meeting. But at a time that seems not that stressful for him or her, for example, at lunchtime or at dinner or just after they gave a talk. So you just have to kind of prepare what you want to say and get up and do it. <laughs> and the first time is the most difficult. And then you realize, oh, they're not going to bite your head off. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's usually quite surprising how positive the experience is because I think senior researchers realize how difficult it is for young scientists to approach them and they're often very accommodating. Not always, but I have to say most of the time. So I don't think emails always work that well to reach out because um, senior people often have an overfull mailbox and that one email could get lost. So it's not a not an indication of rejection <laughs> for some some may respond but i just thought i'd mention that too now that's very good advice yeah very good advice and uh, um i have had a similar experience and i have also felt intimidated to go and talk to a lot of people and uh, these days i just keep reminding myself that people 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 they're just people <laughs> yeah exactly exactly human like you and me <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah and um, have you ever had any setbacks or issues in your career that you didn't expect? And how did you deal with them? I think I'm a glass half full kind of person. <laughs> I have had several setbacks, but I tend to cut that from my brain and I move on. Um, thinking of the next exciting opportunity. So I, I get passionate about something quite easily. And I think that's probably a sort of a survival mechanism. <laughs> I think in science, there are so many negative aspects. Papers get rejected very frequently. Grants get rejected and you get negative feedback from your supervisor. There's a lot of that. So you have to find a way to to have a thick skin and to be positive and see opportunities and learning experiences from all of that. But in terms of major life experiences, yes, I think there are always some difficult things that come your way. Um, I am a devoted Christian and I found that to be that my faith has really been very important in challenging times. So I'm extremely grateful that I have this massive support in my life. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. And, um, it reminds me also that I told my own team uh, early this year, I said, 
it's going to be a tough year. You're all going to be finishing papers or be submitting papers and you're going to get papers rejected. So the main skill I want you to develop this year is resilience. Yes, and, I, and I think that it comes a lot like what you're saying about, you know, just moving on and seeing the positive and getting the feedback. Yeah, I think that's, that's really good. One way is also to celebrate when something positive happens. I think Definitely. people don't do that often enough. So when that paper is finally accepted after it's been to eight journals, <laughs> yeah. you know, you have to pop that bottle of champagne or do something, I suppose. And we don't, I, I have to say, I'm guilty of not also doing it myself these days. And, and one should actually need that encouragement. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you could change anything in your career or career path, uh, would you do anything differently? No, absolutely nothing. I wouldn't change anything. And probably very fortunate to be able to say that. <laughs> oh, that's great, yeah. And uh, do you have any advice for women in hypertension research? Yes, I do. Um, I think it's always difficult when I get this question because every person is different and everyone has unique circumstances. And what works for one woman may not work for the other. Um, and we thus cannot apply any cookie cutter advice to all. But if there's something that I've heard often is I, I am extremely grateful that I have a husband who has been very supportive of my career from day one. So it depends a lot on your partner. Uh, he still reminds me today that I didn't want to get married unless I had a job. <laughs> so when I got a job, we got married. <laughs> um, and his support also allowed me the privilege of having children. So they are now 11 and 14. So when I had to go to overseas conferences or do data collection in communities in remote areas or so, he took care of the kids. And it's not always the same for everyone, but for me, that was... Um, a very big support throughout my career and I realize it's it's not always possible but I believe still that if you think or if there is a will there is a way so there are ways to overcome challenges and um, I think that the, the times are changing as well so um, it becomes more and more a part of realistic life that women scientists whether you're in hypertension or in any other field is part of the new reality, life is changing. So I think as we, we need to realize that. And something else I want to mention as advice for women is women should be proud of themselves and of their achievements in their work environments. And for some reason, women aren't always as good as men in selling themselves. And mm -hmm. we see that very often. So we should be confident we can do it. And um, I think that's something you have to, everyone has to be cognizant of and working on all the time. Yeah, no, that's very good feedback. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, and do you have any advice on how to identify a good training environment? I suppose it depends on your areas of research and your area of interest. I think it's possible to work at a lab or university that isn't necessarily amongst the top ranked in the world. But if you have a great leader or mentor working there, it could mean the world for you. If he or she provides you with the necessary opportunities to grow, develop, and reach your potential, it's probably much better than going to a top institute where it's very limited support. Of course, it's also possible to get a great mentor to work with at a highly ranked institution, but the point is at a connection with a person who is really good and who is willing to help you to rise, who is kind to you, that may be the best place to go. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, that's very good advice. Yeah. And uh, do you have any advice relevant to our new norm of working from home and the whole pandemic and uh, without us at this moment seeing an end to it? Uh, especially for junior researchers that I, I think will be the most affected by the whole uh, like pandemic of not being able to perhaps go to the lab or continue to recruit their cohorts and network and collaborate with other people and get to know other people. Yes, that's so relevant in these times. I think for everyone it's challenging, but I agree with you. It may be even more so for our junior colleagues. I think it could... Uh, it's pretty tough working from home, especially if you're alone, uh, sitting in a, in a single room or all day long <laughs> without a family or other friends to support you. So there's also the risk to get distracted on the internet or on watching TV series or stuff like that. It's, I think, a real challenge and everyone probably handles it a bit differently. So I firstly think it's important to take good care of yourself and your mental health whether it's um, making sure you take time off from work uh, via Teams or Zoom or phoning friends and family, but also to make sure that you don't waste this precious time. If you can't go to the lab, it's, we always kind of moan. We have so much to do and, and get distracted or interrupted when trying to finish something big and important. But sometimes, uh, especially now, we may have the chance to actually finish some big important tasks such as a grant or an important paper without interruption so um, that's again trying to see the positive in this it is possible it depends of course also on, on what what the, what your specific position is and what you need to do but i think you have to make for yourself probably a good to-do list and try to stick to it or have a research plan and um, it may be possible to actually complete large chunks of work. But in the end, and, and that should be very important, um, is to allow yourself also some time off to take a break and do stuff that you love to do and have some me time in between. Yeah, no, I think that's very important yeah, to have some mental health and uh, yeah, self-care. Mm. Yeah, that's excellent. Thank you so much, Alta. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, no, not really at this stage. I just want to say that if there's anyone that want to get in touch with me with any specific questions, um, they can get in touch either through the Secretariat of the International Society of Hypertension or if they Google my name, they'll probably find my email address. So they are welcome to get in touch if they have any specific questions. Happy to oh, thank you. Can. That's very, very kind, very generous of you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure yeah, to talk to you today and I think all your advice is going to be uh, very much appreciated and uh, very uh, timely um, very as well with the whole COVID. Thank you. Thanks, Francine. <laughs>